Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Duo Sports and Stuff podcast. My name is Deontay Epps, joined by my co-host, best man, best friend, Dane. Dane, how are you doing, my guy? Pretty well, man. I can't complain at all. It's pretty good. The weekend didn't go by as you know as quick as it normally does, so I, I'll I'll take that where I can. How about you, yeah. man? The summer, the summer days are long, and as you can see, my for our viewers on YouTube, uh, my my wall is kind of empty. Um, for for reasons that if you if you follow me on social media, you know why. But I'll get more into that on our next episode. But this episode, we are joined by our friend, and um, he's gonna play it super low key. But he was a big part of a documentary <laughs> that premiered on ESPN two weeks ago the greatest mixtape ever uh producer andrew how are you doing my guy appreciate you for coming on andrew marrow thank you for having me on um definitely appreciate that and uh yeah i'm good i'm chilling i'm it's my birthday month about to turn 40 so i'm just i'm just I'm just living life, you know. There you go. When, well, you could say my my wife's a Gemini. Her birthday is tomorrow, so happy oh. birthday, Karina! I know if I don't say it on the pod, she's gonna, she's gonna, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna hear about it in a in a few days when she listens to this. But um, yeah, man, appreciate you for coming on. Definitely uh, appreciate it on this on this late night. Um, definitely uh, when we when Dane and I first saw the documentary two weeks ago, it was something that. You know, like I mentioned before we started recording, like mm-hmm. that that definitely takes us back, you know, um yes. working or watching this nostalgia for sure. But um before we before we start about the, the doc man, um kinda tell us about who you are and what kind of got you into, you know, producing. You had a, a long resume of things you've done from <laughs> HBO uh pr- uh productions and things of that nature. Um, kind of, how'd you get into this, into this field? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been at it for a minute now. I think it's been about 15 years. I've been working professionally in television. Um, but I got in cause ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to, to be in movies. I wanted to make movies, you know, like that was my dream. Um, you know, I did the whole film school thing. I did. I, and as soon as I got out, um, I just, it was just luck, man. I just, I just happened to cross a guy who basically took me under his wing. Um, he was doing something completely different than what I was planning on doing. I, mean, I went to school for cinematography. I wanted to shoot movies. But uh, mm-hmm. this guy hooked me up with a job um, editing promos for Spike Television back in the day. That's, that, that's I remember Spike. I it's, it's Paramount now. But yeah, it was like Men's, <laughs> Network, Men's Network or whatever, you know. So I got started cutting promos for like UFC fights, you know? So it was like, you know, it was really sports heavy, you know, like every promo was the same, like hard rock music and guys like beat on each other. And it was like, you know, Thursday night on Spike TV, blah, 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 you know? And that's what I did for a couple of years. Um, And, uh, you know, this dude, he he actually, um, oh, shout out to Charlie, Charlie Sadoff, who's this guy, he he had a company in New York. And um, he, you know, took me under his wing and he like, you know, sort of taught me the ropes of like editing and, you know, because I, I never really thought of editing before. Um, and he just, he sort of taught me how to do it and just kind of, it was a grind, you know. And then, and then from there, you know, you just, you know, you just talk to another person who I became like a sports editor, whatever that means. I mean, that's not even really a thing. People always like talk about this, like, oh, you're a sports editor, you're a sports mm-hmm. producer. I'm like, I'm just an editor, a producer. And it's just, I mean, it just happened to be sports. It's, it has nothing to do with anything, but, you know, you get pigeonholed, whatever. People like doing that, they feel comfortable doing that or whatever. So, you know, then it was, uh, then I started working on some poker, then I started, um, 
then I got into boxing, you know, and boxing was really good to me for a lot of years. You know, that was through Showtime, HBO. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, like now I'm just like a freelancer. So guys, oh, I've always been a freelancer actually. So now I get calls all the time for different things. And, uh, and 30 for 30 was, is, you know, I've done a bunch of those and, and, you know, they call me every once in a while, but when they called me about the N one, I like knew right away, like I wanted to work on it. I was like, listen, say no more. Like I'm in because just like you guys, that was a big part of like, you know, my, my college days. And I remember just like watching those tapes over and over again and, uh, waiting for the next one to come out and all that stuff. So <laughs> I was really, really excited to work on that. And yeah, that's, here we are. Okay. Okay. And again, Andrew, I appreciate you for taking the time to, you know, just talk with us and let us know about you. So my next question is for you is sports Emmy winning producer, what project got you to that award and what emotions went through your mind after winning and take us through that process. Oh man, I, I, so I, the first Emmy I won was for a show called 24 seven, which is uh, no longer around rip on HBO. And, you know, that was like the, that was the first of its kind, that show, you know, it was like a documentary uh, athlete follows what they call those, you know, where you basically, and it was mostly boxing and, you know, you hang out with the boxers as they train and, you know, obviously like the Floyd fights were big Pacquiao. So when I was coming up, like as an editor, like that was a show I would watch as a fan. Cause I've always liked boxing. Boxing is actually one of my favorite sports, you know? Um, and, um, Listen, when I, I was I was just telling my girl the other day the story, actually, I remember getting the call to work on 24-7 more than I remember the Emmy win. Because when I got that call, I just, my life, I was like, I can't even believe they're giving me a chance to do this, to sit in that chair and, and work on a show like that. Um, and um, yeah, no, but, you know, I did. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm nominated. I mean, I was young, too. I think I was just like 30, maybe, when this was happening, you know, so... Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, I get the nomination, and I was like, "There's no way I'm going to win." I mean, listen, I had never won anything in my life, you know. But I was like, "Wow, this is crazy!" Like, nominate. And we were up against like Hard Knocks and like all these other shows where I was like, "Yeah, you know, whatever." Like, right. I'm just gonna go show up. I bought a suit. I didn't even have a suit. I bought a suit and I went. I showed up to the Emmys, and next thing I know, they're calling out my name, you know. And then I'm on that stage, um, and it was really intense. Like, I was very. I, I like I had a speech sort of prepared, but I like as soon as I like got on that stage and I turned around and I saw all those like lights and all those people, like I just my mind went blank. I just straight up forgot everything I was gonna say, and I was just standing there like deer in headlights, and I just kind of whatever muttered the thank yous as best as I could, and I got I got off of there as fast as I could. But um, but yeah, it was listen, it was a great honor. Um, and professionally, my life changed after that. You know, yeah. like. I mean, before winning the Emmy, um, you know, I would try, I would have to like hustle for work a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. and I would like call people. I would see some people, even like socially, I would see people that work for other networks or whatever. And I'd be like, hey, what's up, man? Like, yo, like, you got something going on? Like, yeah, what's going on? You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like just I'll get ghosted or whatever. And then as soon as I won that Emmy, that was all over. That just, that never happened again. Then after yeah. that, it was like people calling me, emailing me, whatever. And so it was a big deal. You the, know? the perfect, the perfect, you know, setup for that, like, you you're reaching out and then you know the Emmy changes everything and you kind of <laughs> segue into my next question, which was what was the process like? I, I guess I can switch it. What was the process like before getting the Emmy to now? Like getting on this pr project specifically, I'm guessing it wasn't an interview process. They reached out and selected you to to help with it. Yeah, I mean nowadays 
I'm lucky enough that um, I've been at it long enough and I got like a reputation, but also I just know people now who are, you know, um, who are like just executives basically, you know? And uh, so I've been, I've been lucky enough to, to forge a lot of these relationships and also just, yeah, like I said, have my reputation, uh, you know, sort of follow me and help me along. Um, and um, listen, before, before the Emmy and after the Emmy, it's all the same thing, hard work. You know, it's like, you just got to like grind and hustle as hard as you can. And I mean, that's always, that's always been something that's just been like in me, you know, like I never, it's like, like the, the first job I got, for example, this guy, Charlie, I was talking about, like, um, he, he actually had hired me to do a shoot for him because I was, I had access to cameras because of the film school I was in. And I was going to be a cinematographer, like I said, and this guy hired me to do like a tape, like a reel. He was trying to sell a show. He was trying to sell a reality show. Um, it's kind of funny. I remember what it's called. It's called Bikini Brothers. And it was about <laughs> two guys. They weren't actually brothers. They were just like best friends. And they were designing bikinis. And like the the, the premise of this reality show was that these guys were just going to like try and like kick it to the models while also mm-hmm. trying to get rich off selling bikinis. And that, and that was the, the idea for yeah. this reality just show. Like some Karina will watch. So I'm going I'm yeah. to definitely tell her about that. <laughs> right. And so, and so, you know, we shot like, you know, uh, like basically like a, like an episode of it or just like a short little part of it. Um, and I had, I, I realized that this guy had a lot going on, but he was mostly in post-production. He was mostly editing, not shooting as much, you know, and I kind of, and I just, in a moment, in that moment realized that I had to like, kind of talk my way into something. And I, I just thought that maybe I could try and, and edit, you know? And, uh, so I, I asked him, I said, Hey, after we're done shooting this, do you think I get a shot at like maybe editing this thing together? You know? And he goes, uh, he's like, you edit. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know. You know? And he's like, well, he was like, listen, uh, he's like, look, I got like editors on like the payroll. Like, thank you. Next time I need a shooter, I'm going to call you blah, blah, blah. And I just kept asking. I just didn't give up. I just basically was like, I sent him an email and I was like, Hey, listen, nice meeting you the other day. Like, do you think, uh, you know, like we talked about like me possibly editing, you think that's a possibility. And he was like, actually, what we said was no, thank you. And, and it kind of went back and forth like this for like a little bit. And finally, he was like, yo, where do I mail your paycheck? And I was like, let me come pick it up at the office. And so I went in and again, I was like, hey, I see the tapes right there. I think I can just grab them and take them home and for free edit something together. And he actually got mad. This guy, he actually had a short temper because he was like a busy dude. And, the, and he was like, he's like, listen. I get what you're doing. You're trying to be persistent and I respect that or whatever, but um, he's like, you're being really annoying right now. And he's like, let me tell you something. Career. You don't want to piss off people, you know? And I was just standing there like, and I was like, okay. And I'm like, uh, but did I mention I'll do it for free? And he was like, he's like, ah, he's like, well, whatever. He's like, fine, fine. And he's like, grab the tapes. And he like, just kind of like, he kind of just like shoved them at me, you know, I was like, grab the tapes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, do you have editing software I could use? And he was like, <laughs> he's like, are you kidding me? He was like, man, I can't even believe. He's like, the ball's on you, dude, or whatever. And he like, he he's just, he grabbed these. And back then it was on like the discs, you know, mm-hmm. and he gave me that. And he was like, here, like, I don't even know how you're going to figure this out. You got a week. Bring it back in a week. And what I did was I went home. Well, at first I went to Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. to buy a book. It was a book like this. And it was like, how to use Avid, which is the editing software I use, you know. I go home, I install the stuff, and I don't sleep for the week, like the entire week. I was just up. It was like, talk about those all-nighters you used to pull in school. Yeah. It was. I just was like turning Man. pages and clicking around. And, and then, you know, I added this thing together, and I brought it in to him a week later, just be like, look, like all cracked out. I was like, here, I did my best. And he saw it and was like, he was like, ah, oh, you want a job? 
And I said, yeah. <laughs> he hired me the next the next day. I was cutting television. You know, that's awesome. So it was really like you know, listen, it's like a combination of a lot of things. You know, part partly is like you know, I think everyone is like born with some sort of innate talent. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, like something that you 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 got. And in my case, it's I don't know what I would describe it as. It's probably just like a ability to storytell or you know, whatever, um, and, um, or to, to visualize probably, that's probably what it is more, you know, like I can like move images around in my head, you know? Um, and, uh, and I just took that and a lot of hard work and dedication and, and combine those two things to basically build what is this career now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and listen, it was never easy. Like none of this was easy. The, the and one wasn't easy. That and one was like, almost killed me. That was a lot of work, you know, um, and there's sometimes there's no other way to do it, especially in television with the deadlines and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. sport, television, you got a lot of big personalities, a lot of like alpha dogs running around doing whatever, whatever, you know, and every, it's competitive, you know, uh, is what I mean to say by that. Um, so, you know, so I guess the this is a very long answer to your question. Okay. But like for the Emmy and after the Emmy, it's the same hard work you know, and just like sticking with it, like no matter what, you know, um, and, um, but the Emmy obviously changed that in that the people's optics, the optics change, you know, right. people think about you differently. Um, I had nothing, I didn't change. I didn't learn anything new. I mean, it's like, I've been learning my, this whole time, but like slowly, it's not like on that Tuesday in May in 2013 or whenever it was that I, that I learned something, I just got a statue and then the optics change. And, you know, I think that that's a lot, it's that's an important thing in, in whatever business you're in, I guess. It's always optics. Everything's optics. And so you gotta just like think about that and whatever you're doing in life, I think, is just think about how people are thinking of you, you know, because it has it's, it's everything sometimes, you know, whether a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a fact of life, I guess. Hmm. So speaking of optics, what was a, a typical day for you working on this project or any project for that matter? What does that look like on a day to day basis? Um so, so this one, this 30 for 30 was, um, like each project is like a little bit different because mm-hmm. each project has its own, um, let's call it, um, challenges, you know? Okay. Um, but it also depends on what stage of the project I'm in. So at, at the very beginning of a project, um, I will, you know, I basically have to look at everything that's been shot, read all the interviews really wrap my head around the story they were about to tell uh, first. So the beginning of that is a lot of just like reading and just watching, just like watching footage, listening to music, you know, cause we got to pull a lot of music from music libraries or sometimes I'll just listen to like, whatever. I was listening to so much like nineties hip hop, yeah. early 2000s pop, like right, right around that time. Yeah. Just to get like into it, like mentally, you know, just mm-hmm. like kind of put myself in that zone. Um, and um and then but once the once the actual edit starts it's sort of a grind you know mm-hmm. editing can be very um it's monotonous sometimes you know because <laughs> there's a lot of footage there's a lot to go through and you know you just really have to pick a place to start and then go you know um and build from there you know and then you build and listen a lot of the times you make some mistakes you go down the wrong path you build something that's wrong or something structurally is not making sense you just got to watch it over and over again, figure out where you went wrong and, you know, adjust. And uh, there's a lot of that. And so um, it takes weeks. Um, I want to say it takes like maybe, in this case, it took like 
five to six weeks before it looked like anything, you know? And then once it starts looking like something, Mm -hmm. um, that's when everyone starts to try and bang you with like their own ideas of like how to do stuff. And then, and then you got to just like navigate everyone's like expectations or ideas and, and, you know, but, uh, I think in the end, um, this is probably like 16, 17 weeks of edit, um, and you know, pretty long days. And, and actually listen, truth be told at the, at the end, I had to do like sort of like a sprint to the end for deadline reasons, but, uh, I worked, a I don't even remember the exact number, but it was like a 45 or 46 consecutive days. I took one day off and then worked 16 consecutive days. Like no weekends, nothing. Like, you know, it's like date night with Boo. And and that's why your name is in the credits a thousand times. I was like, man, I was showing Karina. I was like, "Uh, I would pause it every time. It's like, there's his name again. There's his name again. There's his name again. (laughs) That's that's incredible, man. And, um, one of the themes that I, I caught on to and it was mentioned throughout the documentary was the intertwine and the relationship between hip hop and, and basketball and how that's always been the thing. Like ever since I can remember um, one funny example is like how you always see like the rappers that want to be ball players, like J Cole right now was on some uh, in some basketball league. And then you see the, um, <laughs> the players in the NBA, Miles Bridges, uh, Dame Lillard, you know, they're rappers now. Um, so was that something you guys wanted to emphasize early with the audience that watched the documentary, how that relationship between hip hop and basketball was so important during that time and still is today? Oh, absolutely. So Seth Free Richardson, who was a, well, the co-director of the, the picture, you know, like he, 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 you know, he started in hip hop as a DJ and he obviously, and this guy, by the way, he like knows like, all these rappers and like in the interviews when you see like you know fat joe being interviewed or snoop like they all like love free like they they've been known him you know it's almost like they're like free what's going on you've been blah 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 yeah. before the interview starts you know so he um so he he loves he's got a love for hip-hop that's like that runs deep and chris robinson the other director um you know he he started with like um you know hip-hop music videos you know so like he's, he's been in that world too and so like their love of music and the art form obviously um easily was it's a going big part down, of it's going movie. down in your neighborhood right now <laughs> oh, we, oh yeah bed so we i live right next to like a, a fire department so like yeah. every time there's something going on we gotta hear all good out. bro but um yeah so they um so yeah music is a big thing for them hip-hop obviously it's you know part of the culture it's a, you know it's, it's big time um mm-hmm. and and when they started you know wanting to tell the story like it was for free it was really important especially to include as much of the hip hop as possible. And I'll tell you something that's like a shame because sometimes when you watch a movie like this, like as the audience, you just see what you see and then you're like, you either love it or you hate it, you know, but I can tell you this, that there, there could, there could have been so much more in that movie, but you know, we were limited by like budget and time, you know, like, I mean, some of the, these songs cost a lot of money to play, you know, and we, you know, we had all these sorts of ideas, uh, things we were going to do in there. Um, there was really going to, really bring things to life and what, you know, we what was one of those things like ideas that you could think of possibly so, i feel like it was really, so much in there already yeah, <laughs> know, so this one actually doesn't have to have to do with like hip-hop necessarily but it has more to do with black culture there's like a moment um after um there's no in the middle of the movie where um scoop jackson is talking about um and, you know, to be honest with you, I don't remember, like, what part of this bite is still in the movie or not. But uh-huh. at some point, he was talking about how, you know, white America saw these basketball tapes 
Lam won tapes for the first time, and they were like, "Whoa, what the hell is this?" And he said, and basically in the interview, he goes, "You know, I know the exact like, quote you're talking about." Go ahead. Yeah, but he. So what we were trying to do was have him continue his thought. His thought was like, you know, it's like. He's like, obviously, he's like, for white, he's like, I love seeing white America learn something about like brown and black culture. He's like, it's it's funny to me. He's like, because it's like, it's like, you know, it's like when he's like, when white people like talk about listening to the Isley brothers, he's like, you know, everyone, he's like, they're just talking about shout, you know, but he's like, but when you, he's like, but when they hear other Isley brothers and they're like, what's this? <laughs> and he's like, whoosh. Like, and he was like, and that's the same thing that happened when they saw these N1 tapes. And so we wanted to put in Shout, and then we were going to put in like some other Isley Brothers track. And um, and that part was like, you know, it was just it was just nice. It was really working nice. And then, of course, they're like, yo, Shout's like, you know, $100,000. You know, I said, okay, so that's got to go. <laughs> you know, the other Isley Brothers track is also like $50,000. Like, whatever. Like, the, I, I don't even deal with the numbers myself, but it's just like, all right, that's got to go. That's got to go. That's got to go. But um, so, you know, we kept what we could. And, and I think we got the points across we were trying to make, you know, but really like, like the internet was saying, that could have been like a two hour movie. That could have been a four hour mm-hmm. movie. I don't know. We could have gotten deeper and, and everything, you know? Um, but, you know, we had the time that we had. It was 50 minutes, you know, it's like from ESPN, that's what they wanted. And so we got the story in as, with the money we had, basically, you know? Absolutely. So much of the culture and references that I know from, you know, about New York and just the city, just the area itself, um, from my stepdad, he has a one of, those, one of his friends that used to stay with us was from the New York area. Or he's always used to be at the house was from the New York area. So like talking about anybody like Jadakiss in like a negative way is, you know, grounds for like, you know, like side-eyeing like this. So getting context from somebody like that early on was kind of like my early introduction to Jadakiss and everything, uh, like, you know, from Fat Joe and, and some of those guys. But seeing those guys, like physically seeing those guys and then obviously Kiss, you know, you know, narrating is kind of just like brings everything full circle in terms of the impact that hip hop and, and music just had on the culture in that era. It's kind of like, it's, like wow this is refreshing you know and it's it's a it's about time this sort of particular project you know made it to our you know televisions but in your words you know was getting those big time interviews like extremely important in telling the story or you know how, how did you how did you go about the you know putting in words or putting the pictures in your minds and the impact that that could have in telling the story well yeah i mean like um it's obviously really important to have people and this goes for any documentary, really, for like the people who are actually there living it to talk about it, you know? Um, and yeah, like having guys like those interviews, like having Fat Joe in there um, was, you know, huge for the movie, for not just as like authenticity, but like, mm-hmm. you know, to just not be pulling things out of thin air, you know? Um, yeah. And, and you know, this movie really, because obviously Streetball got national, um, but really it's birth in 30 years of it what seemed to be exclusively a New York City thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I actually, working on this movie, learned a lot about it myself. Like, I mean, I always knew Sheepaw was like a New York thing. I didn't realize how much of a New York thing it was, you know? Um, and, um, you know, but like, yeah, having these guys speak on that was like really, I, I mean, I think it's, I don't think you could have done it any other way, you know? Uh, I mean, we have other guys talking in the movie, like journalists and stuff that like help fill out the context, and you know, kind of make the story a little like fuller or whatever, but, um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's invaluable having guys like that. And, like, all those guys set free, 
Richardson is the one who got all those interviews, basically. I mean, like I said, he knows those guys. I think he has them all on speed dial. As a matter of fact, one time <laughs> when he was over at my apartment, we were like working on the movie and he gets a FaceTime and it was like Jada Kiss. And he was like, and he, they were just like talking. And he's just like, yo, say what up to Andrew. And he like turns the phone and I look. I'm like, who's this? And I'm like, look, I'm like, oh, I'm like, yo, what's up? And he's like, hey, bro. Hey. So, like, you know, so, you know, Free's got a good relationship with all those guys. And um, I think for him, it was just, it's just like a phone call away. To be like, yo, making an and one documentary, and I think those guys just started all like, you know, um, signing up. Even the basketball guys too; they actually knew him. They they all had like they all knew who he was too because of the and one tapes. You know, like I think that uh, it seemed like, um, and this, this is all stories that I heard from Free or or from guys in the interviews that didn't make the movie. But you know, it seemed like even when when the and one tapes came out, um, mm-hmm. you know, Free made friends whatever NBA guy at the time, you know, I, I don't remember who it was, but they would like take him around and like introduce him to everyone, you know, uh, like, and so guys like Shumper and all those guys, they know free, you yeah. know, because of that. And they all love him because of those AM1 tapes. I mean, these guys, they were like, AM1 is as important to these basketball guys as it is us, you know, like, that's mm-hmm. why I love hearing Kyrie talk about it, you know, because those stories actually went on and on too. Like we could have done a whole hour on just Kyrie talking about watching AM1 tapes and, you know, and like, and all that stuff. So like, you know, that was, mm, that era was really influential. Like, you know, as the movie points out and um, it was clear as day when you hear these guys talk about it for sure. So it's good to have all of them on. There was a part in the doc, that's probably my favorite part towards, I think it was kind of towards the end where you talk about that. They talked about the N1 commercial that the the N1 players made kind of challenging the NBA players and talking about (laughs) how, you know, it's different out here in the streets and, um, how you know it was that little segment where the NBA players like, man, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? We we we're professionals. We do this for a living. Like, um, I thought that was a part that really stood out to me because I feel like you hear it all the time, especially like on social media when people ripping up different athletes that they watch, saying that you know they could do this in their sleep and all that kind of context and stuff like that. So I, I really enjoyed that part how they were going back and forth. But is there any part, um? that you worked on or a part of the segment of the documentary that stood out to you was like really made you think, or you really enjoyed how it came out on screen. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I was really happy with the end product. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I do feel like there could have been more, like, you know, we could have done a deeper dive and, you know, because there's a lot to talk about there, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. I think that there was even, we sort of touch on like the financials of it like a little bit. I mean, that was like a hard subject for us to like really broach because, you know, there's a lot of information we just don't have. We just didn't know, like, you know, we didn't know the numbers. We don't know how much money and one made or how much money these guys got paid. Like they, they wouldn't say, so we just, you know, you can't really, um, you can't really say anything definitively because that would be irresponsible because you just don't have the information. It just wouldn't just, you know, wouldn't be it. You know, ethical. It just wouldn't be right, you know. Probably gets sued too, you know. But um, you know, one of the things that is obvious is that some of these guys clearly are, you know, some of them don't seem like they're, you know, have that much money, you know. Yeah. Um, they're just they seem like they're still like living in the hood, like you know, sort of struggling to get by and whatnot. Um, and you know, that part of the documentary where we were trying to, you know, talk about like, look, these guys did not get properly compensated for the work like i think that's really important for me like to it was important for me to try and get that as cross as much as possible because that sort of like matches up with my politics you know like i you know it's tough like especially in sports because i think a lot of sports are like sort of um 
just take advantage of certain characters, you know? Like, I mean, like, if you look at something like the UFC or whatever, you look at what those guys get paid um, versus how much those pay-per-views are pulling in, you know? Yeah. It's like these guys, you know, they sort of get exploited, you know? But we sort of shrug it off because, we're, whatever, we're, we're Americans, we're capitalists, you know? It's like, yeah, of course... Mm-hmm. So and so's Dana's making all that money, and so and so's making that money, and one's making that money. Right. Their yeah, brand, the they're doing it. And these other guys, who are they? They're just, yeah. And then, but you know, but then it's like I feel so bad when I see these guys because you know they seem like they're struggling. I feel like they, and it's not even just getting paid by N one. Um, because when those NBA guys are talking about, listen, like you know, we we play every single day, we play every single day. It's like those NBA guys had a support system. You know, like like a family support system. Like you know, it's like someone's driving your ass to the park when you're a kid to like practice, or not even the park, but to like the gym. You know, these guys they didn't have that. I mean, some of their stories, you know, like the, you could tell even by just listening mm-hmm. to them. But they're just just sort of hood, and they just grew up playing basketball in the hood, and, and they're like and incredibly they talented. And you yeah. just wonder if they had like some sort of support system. Like it's ironic. Mm-hmm. Like if if they weren't just out in the park on their own doing their own thing they wouldn't have come up with maybe some of those moves you know um who knows you know if there was more structured if they were just playing like like a more straightforward basketball and like leagues and stuff you know but they might have had a a better shot i mean only one of them made into the nba you know ao got close i guess um but it just seems to me like um it's sort of like it's sort of like a bittersweet kind of aspect of the story, you know. Like it's nice to be nostalgic and remember these guys, and they are sort of like heroes, especially uh, in certain neighborhoods, you know. Um, but I just I wonder, like I me, mean, just me, Andrew wonders um, what could have been different for them, you know, and how how far could they have gotten, you know, and you know, and I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, hmm. So. One of the things that I appreciate the most about it was just, it just reminded me not only of the moments watching people do things that I couldn't even imagine my wildest dream doing, you know, like dunking over a motorcycle or uh, the air up there is what, 720? 720? It's like, this for me, it just brings a full circle. That, man, this actually really happened. And it's, I mean, obviously it was a big deal when it came out and then now it's even a bigger deal because people were doing this like long before YouTube was a thing. So it's like retro for real. But the impact of and one and, and streetball culture, you know, we see it in the NBA today, you know, with players like, you know, the Kyrie's your Dames, John Morant's, things like that. But moving forward, in your opinion, you know, how much of an impact do you think, you know, this particular project um, will have on the game and, and the things we might see tomorrow in the next generation of ball players? Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me like this sort of style plays around for a good long time, you know, because, um, well, first of all, in the NBA today, this doesn't look like the the game doesn't look like it did when when we were kids. I mean, when I like, I mean, I grew up. I mean, I grew up a Knicks fan. I'm talking about the you know the '90s Knicks teams. I mean, those games, even the playoff games, that game was like 88 to 92. That was the score of a game, you know. And then you had two guys who shoot threes. One guy would hit it. The other guy was like 50-50. And then you had like three guys in the middle, like elbowing dudes when they got in the paint. Like, that's the basketball I grew up watching, you know? Um, And this stuff nowadays, to me, is, like, just completely different. It's just, like, absolutely bananas. I mean, mean, there's a game going on right now that I'm I'm assuming everyone's just drilling threes from wherever, like, just driving. It's just, like, you know, doing, like, an amazing stuff, you know? And I I, – 
And like Dr. J himself in the doc says, like that's street basketball, you know. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's that's what the that way is. The game's supposed like, to be played. Yeah, <laughs> that's not. Yeah, but it is, and it's fun. And yeah. I mean, the NBA loves it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so they're not complaining. Um, and I don't see these kids nowadays playing any other way. You know, I can't imagine it going back to the way it was, or I don't know what the next evolution is going to be. But I doubt it's going to be like passing and taking like. 12 footers, you know, (laughs) 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 well, one more question, man. Once again, we appreciate you for coming on. One of our many, many guests that we've, we've had on, it's been a fun conversation with you, man, but you had mentioned earlier in our conversation about how this project was, you know, very important to you, how you grew up kind of watching these tapes and um, how it was in, you know, you, you were kind of glued to it. Like it was, can you consider this one of your, favorite projects to work on definitely it's definitely up there for sure i um it's one of those projects where i was like happy when i got the call happy to start working on it and just i mean like i said it was a lot of hard work but when we finished i was i was definitely cheesing the whole time you know um and um yeah because listen i'm gonna tell you something even though like i work in television and whatever have like a career in it like i'm still i still feel like just like a regular sports fan and movie fan tv fan or whatever you know so when someone gives me an opportunity like this to work on a movie like this you know when i get a call from like a, a chris robinson set free or espn like i get like overjoyed i mean i would feel i feel the same way you guys would feel yeah. if they called you and were like you want to work on a 30 for 30 and one project you'd be like yeah and tell everyone <laughs> i did and i'll tell you something else it's funny because like my friends now like all my boys like you know, for years now, like they'll, what are you working on? And I'll be like, oh, I'm working on this or that. And mostly people just, they get used to it and they just don't care anymore, you know? But now every time I was talking about N1, all of a sudden people's eyes would light up and they'd be like, hot sauce, <laughs> A-O, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. And then, and then I started asking all sorts of questions. And so this was the project that like everyone just seemed like super gassed for. And like I was, and that made me even more excited too, because that's what I get a kick out of. I get a kick out of, um, like audiences that like are happy, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty what I want to do in life. I just want to make stuff that entertains, whatever, educates, whatever. Like, but just mostly entertains and makes people happy. And I and and I was. It seems like this one did it, you know. Yeah. While I was watching it, um, my girl Katie was, you know, she's watching like the live tweets, you know, as they go, and people were like loving it. And I'm like, wow, that's great. Yeah. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's that night it dropped, man. That's all uh, everybody was talking about. Yeah, that's cool. So I mean, that makes me happy, you know. That's awesome. And let me say this. When I texted Katie to ask you to come on the, the pod, she she said he's he she said that you said you didn't know what to say about it. And you said way too much like you yeah. you overwhelmed it. Like it was perfect. That's what I'm trying to say, man. You you did your thing. We appreciate you I'm for glad. coming on. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you for coming on. And if y'all have not watched um this documentary, it's on ESPN Plus now. I think you can catch it on do you think uh Andrew? on ESPN Plus now? Yeah, I'm a bad advertiser. I don't even know, but probably. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) It's probably on ESPN Plus. And there's also a podcast that that goes along with it. But, Andrew, appreciate you so much. Andrew Romero. Thank you so much. Sports Emmy producer, producer of the greatest mixtape ever. Um, That is episode 88 of the Duo Sports and Stuff podcast. Remember, you can catch us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Dang, what does the YouTube people say? 
man, just hit that follow, like, and subscribe button. And this is after, or this is before they go on a 20-minute rant and only give you two seconds of content. Two seconds of content. Smash that button. (laughs) Smash that button. Smash that button. Smash the like button. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Andrew, appreciate you. Duo episode 88. We are out.